welcome to the reading of the business record for Friday, September 10th, 2021. I'm your reader, Susan Hack. We'll begin with the cover story, Adding Some Pep to Multi-Employer Retirement Plans, Pooled Employer Plans Beginning to Catch On with Iowa Advisors and Companies, by Joe Gardiaz. As a former military pilot, Financial advisor Brian Thompson is accustomed to viewing the landscape from a 30,000-foot level. Now he's providing small business clients in Iowa with a big-picture view of a new approach to retirement savings plans that could help more small businesses guide their employees to a smooth financial landing when they retire. Thompson, who for years flew KC-135 Stratotankers for the Iowa Air National Guard, has balanced aerial missions over places like Afghanistan and Iraq with working for a financial advisory firm in Des Moines since 2006. In 2015, he launched his own financial advisory firm, Rockway Wealth Partners, and began working with retirement plans for small businesses. I just really liked retirement plans from the start. They kind of appealed to my military background, he said. It's an important job, but it takes working together with other specialists and teammates to accomplish bigger things, like a retirement plan for a business, he said. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 53% of private companies with fewer than 100 employees offer a retirement plan as of March 2020, compared with 83% of firms with more than 100 employees having a retirement plan. The difficulty of administering a plan, as well as the cost, are some of the biggest barriers for smaller businesses, experts say. Thompson has studied the nuances of the new pooled employer plan structure, an option that became available on January 1st as a provision of the SECURE, Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Security, Act. While the Act laid out a number of provisions to help Americans individually save for more retirement, it also added to the options that companies, particularly small businesses, can offer their employees. It's very attractive to them if they can join a plan and outsource a lot of the administrative burden that comes with it, Thompson said. Having met with a number of small employers in central Iowa to answer questions about the plans, He's found that reducing the administrative burden is probably even a bigger deal for most small business owners than the cost savings that accompany it. It's pretty clear to me that the administrative outsourcing is more beneficial than the cost savings initially for the small employers, he said. Most of it is getting the liability and fiduciary responsibility off their plate. The SECURE Act also provides a $5,000 tax credit to small businesses that establish a retirement plan, including PEPs, as a move to address a common hurdle that startup plans face. Unlike established businesses, small businesses or startups often do not have a lot of discretionary cash flow to pay the necessary costs to get the plan up and running. The annual tax credit covers up to $5,000 of planned costs for the first three years when an employer offers a workplace retirement plan. Among the organizations that Thompson has worked with in establishing the new plan option is the Urbandale Chamber of Commerce, 
which had made multiple employer plans available for its member businesses. It's an admittedly sole, slow sales process that can easily take six to eight months, Thompson said. Though no companies have yet pulled the trigger on a PEP through Thompson, there are a few that may soon, he said. Another organization that is starting a group retirement plan is the Home Builders Association of Iowa. That one is starting out as a traditional multi-employer plan, but I could see that one in a year or two turning into a group of plans structure, Thompson said. Also, the Iowa Economic Development Authority has expressed interest in seeing how group retirement plans for organizations could benefit more workers in the state. Nationally, a significant number of small businesses are open to considering pooled employer plans, according to a survey conducted earlier this year by Mercer. The poll of a retirement plan sponsors revealed that close to 20% of mid to large size organizations are open to joining a pooled plan, and another 40% would like to explore pooled plans, as well as other ways to delegate investment and administrative fiduciary roles when market conditions improve. A number of large retirement plan administrators, among them Principal Financial Group, have opted to become a pooled plan provider, a key role in taking on the fiduciary responsibility for these pooled plans. Jerry Patterson, Senior Vice President of Retirement and Income Solutions with Principal, categorized the present market for pooled employer plans as, quote, experiencing meaningful amounts of interest and modest adoption, end quote. In November 2020, the company launched Principal Ease, E-A-S-E, a pooled employer plan to provide plan administration, customer service, and investment management capabilities as the pooled plan provider and record keeper. Principal is offering the PEP in partnership with National Benefit Services, LLC, as the third-party administrator and Wilshire as the investment fiduciary. I believe the pandemic has definitely slowed down the education process, Patterson said, although enrollment in the new PEPs in the past couple of months has picked up some 90%. So we're definitely seeing interest picking up and our pipeline growing, he said. We're seeing interest from both new plan formation companies as well as existing plans. 70% of the plans we have written are startups so it's the first time they're offering a 401k plan. And about 30% are plans that are moving from a traditional structure to a multi-employer structure, he said. Patterson said he and his colleagues were surprised by how much interest has come from existing plans, and even large plans, given that PEPs were really targeted at accelerating the formation of new plans. But there are plenty of existing plans that like the idea of reducing their administrative burden and burden and reducing risk, he said. In response to that interest, Principal in June announced an expansion of its PEP offering to larger companies, labeled the Praetorian PEP, through a partnership with Kansas City-based Lockton Companies, Inc., which markets itself as the world's largest privately owned independent insurance brokerage. Lockton serves as the independent investment fiduciary for the PEP, responsible for crafting and monitoring its investment lineup. 
Large employers probably understand better than smaller employees the fiduciary risk and obligation they have, Patterson said, and they find that risk reduction feature of a pooled employer plan is pretty darn attractive. They also expect efficiencies when you pool plans together, he said. On the financial advisor side of the business, just over one quarter of registered investment advisors nationally said they have decided to serve the PEP market in some fashion, according to a recent report published by industry consulting group Ceruli Associates. In that same survey, slightly more than half of RIAs with significant retirement plan business said they remain undecided whether to offer PEPs. Very few are committed to acting as the pooled plan provider. At Rockway Wealth Partners, Thompson said that in addition to providing consultation on PEPs, he has considered setting up his own PEP that clients could join as a service to those wanting to offer a retirement plan. However, like many advisors, he's also being cautious and waiting on further guidance before deciding which structure he should use. Another option to the PEP, known as the, quote, group of plans, end quote, structure, will be introduced next year, he noted. I don't want to rush into it and then try to recruit new business into it and then change the structure in a year or two, he said. I'd rather just be patient and wait and see how it shakes out. PEPs reduce flexibility in retirement plan design to some extent, Thompson said. What companies give up a lot of times in joining a group retirement plan arrangement is greater detail in the customization of the plan for their organization, he said. The efficiencies come from making the plans a little more simplified in their structure. But employers still get to choose their match percentage, whether they want to do profit sharing, and when employees become eligible. So the bigger picture stuff is still flexible, but not as flexible as a company just having its own 401k, he said. Patterson said that pooled plan providers like Principal, quote, are doing everything we can to look for ways to build some level of flexibility so that we have a structure that hits the issues that are of most concern to employers. We see some plan sponsors decide they're willing to give up some level of flexibility to take advantage of the reduction in administrative burden and reduction in risk, he said. From principal's perspective, the company could comfortably handle, quote, thousands and thousands, end quote, of employers in a pooled employer plan, Patterson said. The company currently administers close to 50,000 retirement plans. The large majority of those plans are small, which in our vernacular are plans with less than $3 million in retirement assets or account value, he said. Those are the exact plans that are the target of the pooled employer plan structure. If we had 50,000 plans in our principal ease structure, I think we would be as comfortable administering those plans in that structure as we are in the manner we do it today. That would be a great problem to have, he said. Patterson said his company is, quote, very encouraged, end quote, by the bipartisan support in Washington, D.C. for positive retirement savings reforms. And he believes that fiscal constraints or rising interest rates won't cause any political about-face on the issue. 
The big driver is that leaders in Washington are abundantly aware of the current demographics and the growing pressures on traditional safety nets like Social Security and pension plans, he said. So we actually expect more reform, like the reform we saw in the SECURE Act in the coming months to promote early adoption and to help us to incent employers to invest in workplace and individual retirement plans, he said. As its headquarters and largest nexus of employees, Iowa is, quote, a really important market for principal, Patterson added, putting on his sales hat. We think this is a great way for small businesses in Iowa that have become have been contemplating adopting a retirement plan to do it now and stop waiting, he said. Our next story, Closer Look, Meet a Leader You Should Know. Amy Christoph Brown, Dean, Tippy College of Business at the University of Iowa, by Joe Gardiaz. Amy Christoph Brown chose the University of Iowa as her academic home 23 years ago, and while she has had numerous professional opportunities to move, she has elected to build her academic career at Iowa. As a professor in the Department of Management and Entrepreneurship, Christoph Brown has served as director of the department's doctoral program, as department executive officer, and as senior associate dean of the Tippie College of Business. She was named interim dean of, at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic in March 2020 and was selected to begin the role on a permanent basis on December 1st following an international search. Christoph Brown is internationally recognized as an authority on team dynamics, organizational fit, and management. She is co-editor of the book Organi Organizational Fit, Key Issues and New Directions and has published more than 20 articles in academic journals as well as several book chapters. Her husband, Ken Brown, also works for the Tippy College as a professor of management in the Department of Management and Entrepreneurship. You grew up outside Washington, D.C. and completed your undergraduate and graduate degrees on the East Coast. So how did you originally decide on the University of Iowa? When I looked at jobs across the country, I interviewed at nine different schools. I had opportunities all across the country, and the opportunity at Iowa was unique because there were three or four faculty members here who were just top of the field, really amazing researchers. I had been reading their work and citing them for years. And then here they were, reaching out to me as a candidate and saying, we really like what you're working on. We'd love to have you come here and meet you. It was the first time I'd ever been to Iowa. The welcome was so warm and supportive, which was a very different experience than in a lot of other universities. And they were very open to looking for dual career opportunities for my husband, and we decided, okay, we're going to move to Iowa. We've been here for 23 years. At the time that I took the job, I thought, we'll be here for a couple of years, and then we'll go back to the East Coast and raise our kids. We just never felt the desire to go back once we moved here. Your research has made you an authority on organizational fit. How does that influence how you handle your role now as Dean? I think that's a great question because I do firmly believe in the importance of finding an organization where you have multiple types of fit with the job. 
It needs to be the job that you want to do, that you find fulfilling, and that you have the capabilities to do. Then there's your fit with the group or the team that you work with. That's tremendously important for your satisfaction, your well-being, your mental health. And then there's the fit with the organizational culture in terms of their values aligning with your values and caring about the same kinds of outcomes and believing in the same purpose for why you're there. In my role, first as a department chair, then a senior associate dean, and now as dean, I'm heavily involved in recruiting new faculty, and I'm looking for all three of those things. We use that criteria very explicitly to look for new faculty members, and then once we get them, we have a good track record retaining them. How will this fall be different as the business college prepares for another semester following the remote classes during COVID? I think that everybody, first of all, is just very excited to be back. Our buildings are very quiet right now, and they usually are in the summer, but they're quieter than usual. So we're very excited to have the students back. We're very excited to be back with our colleagues. So in large part, we're hoping to return to normal operations in the fall. Our classes will be regular size classes and we'll proceed as we normally would. The percentage of classes online is pretty much the same as it was in the fall of 2019. We've always had a few classes online in our undergraduate program. In the MBA program, there will be more classes online because that's where we're seeing student interest and student demand. We've learned some things about what can be done more effectively using technology versus face-to-face -face in terms of how we run our operations. In our budget meetings, we will never run 20 paper copies of the budget and pass them around. We will all meet on Zoom even if we're all in the same building, and look at one spreadsheet on the screen. How do you see your role in terms of your leadership style? Probably more than anything, I'm an integrator. I like to take people's ideas and passions and innovation and pull them together in ways that help solve bigger problems. Often we see things as little pockets of issues. And when you pull it all together, you can see that we could do one or two things that would help address different issues. So I rely heavily on my team. I have a really deep bench strength on my executive team and with my department chairs as well. Many of them have been there 15 to 20 years and really are just wonderful people as well as being very creative and dedicated to what they do. I see my role as harnessing all of that into a direction to help elevate the college in terms of our reputation. What level of support do you feel you've had from the University of Iowa as a female professional in your roles with the business college? I have always felt that I could accomplish whatever I wanted to at the University of Iowa, so I have felt supported professionally and personally, and that matters to women. It matters to men too, but I think it matters particularly to women to feel that you can accomplish whatever professional goals you set for yourself, but also have a life where you can spend time with your family and focus on them and care about them. I had multiple opportunities to leave and I've never felt like any place else would be better than what I have here. What convinced you this would be a good position for you? Sarah Gardiel, who was our dean prior to me, was instrumental in showing me that this might be a position that I would like. 
I was very content at the time to focus on the internal operations of the college. And when she announced that she was stepping away from the college for another opportunity, she said, I think you would be great at this job. You know everything that we have and all the potential the college has, and you could talk about it, and that could be your job. So I said, well, that sounds great. Sign me up for that opportunity. What are the top priorities for the Tippy College in the next year or two? Increasing strategic partnerships with Iowa business is my, businesses is my number one priority. We have a lot of talented students and talented faculty, and we've spent the last several years building that capacity through innovative curricula, through hiring really outstanding thought leaders in different areas. And what we're hoping to do now is really expand our outreach to the state, to the region, to let organizations know what we have to offer and ways that we can be helpful to businesses, whether those are small, medium, large corporations, whether it's nonprofits, community organizations, state agencies, whatever it might be. We want to give people the knowledge of what we have to offer so that we can be a partner to them and help them work through difficult challenges in business, whether it's a talent pipeline, whether it's solving a difficult problem through data, or providing executive education for a group of managers that need to know more about a particular topic. And continuing to listen to students in terms of how they want to have learning opportunities. President Barbara Wilson, when she interviewed for the position, asked all of the deans to articulate what they thought their biggest opportunities were in the next five years. My response to that question was, viewing business education as a lifelong learning opportunity. And so it's important for us to continue to think about how we serve our undergraduate population and our graduate population and our executives and the people who don't want a degree but want to learn something new. How do we approach that you have a really a lifelong partner for learning? What's an example of an organization that the Tippy College collaborates with currently? What's an example of an organization that the Tippy College collaborates with currently? Probably one of our best partners right now is HNI Corp. That is an organization from which we have people on our advisory boards. They provide student internships. They hire students. We provide executive education to their developing manager cohorts. We have worked with them on several data analytics projects in both business analytics and also in finance to provide student teams to them. So they're a partner that we connect with on multiple levels, and that's really the kind of partnership that we aspire to with other companies as well. Do you still keep any element of research or teaching as part of your daily schedule? Technically, in my portfolio, I am 100% administrative. Now, I am still working actively on two research projects with graduate students and faculty members. I do that mostly on Saturday mornings. Teaching-wise, as the senior associate dean, I taught in our online MBA program and in our PhD program. I was going to take the first year, maybe two, and not do any teaching because I wanted to get a handle on this job first. But I would be very open to stepping back into a classroom at some point to interact with our students at any level. What interesting books have you read lately? I just finished a book called 
How to Have a Good Day by Carolyn Webb. That sounds really kind of fluffy, but it's actually a very science-based orientation to what strategies you can build into your daily life that help you to then set priorities, accomplish goals, and be resilient. And with a community reading group, I just finished reading War and Peace, which I read from February 1st to May 10th. It was a discussion group on Facebook led by Anna Barker, a UI adjunct assistant professor of Russian literature. That was really enjoyable. Amy Christoph Brown at a glance. Hometown, Millersville, Maryland. Age, 51. Family, husband, Ken Brown, and two daughters, ages 20 and 18. Education, Ph.D. in Organizational Behavior and Human Resource Management, University of Maryland. Bachelor of Science in Psychology, University of Richmond. Contact amy-kristof-brown at uiowa.edu. Special insert in this week's business record in partnership with the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, Iowa's ongoing manufacturing workforce shortage. A view from the top, ABI member participation in public policy, key to historic successes. From Jack Haskin, ABI chair, with Jackson Manufacturing Inc. in Maquoketa, Iowa. Some of the most important work done by ABI each year relates to public policy. The most important part of that work is the strong participation by ABI members in the development of and advocacy for policies that help Iowa's business and industry grow. The annual policy development process was completed at this month's board meeting and over 300 members participated in one or more venues throughout the state. That is terrific participation and it sets the stage for the real work that follows. That is communication with state administrators and elected officials of both parties all across Iowa. You and your fellow ABI members are the key reason that ABI has experienced its award-winning public policy success over the past several decades. ABI has been fortunate to have some of the best public policy experts as staff members over the years, and the current team of J.D. Davis and Brad Hartkoff is no exception. But even they tell us that you and your employees are critical to the success to develop this coming year's policy priorities. Legislators and state officials want to hear from you. They want to see your operations, meet your employees, and learn about your business. They want to support policies that will help you grow your business and create jobs. The best way to help them do that is to invite them into your plant. I had the pleasure of hosting Senator Joni Ernst and 30 local business leaders this past May to Jackson Manufacturing here in Maquoketa. Senator Ernst spoke in detail about the national and state labor shortage facing business and industry today. If you have an interest in hosting an elected official, please contact ABI and our policy team can help arrange that. Thank you for your strong participation in ABI's policy work and thank you in advance for your work with your legislative delegation. 
Because this edition of Business Record Iowa is focused on the state of Iowa manufacturing, allow me to end with a note about the annual ABI Manufacturing Conference and the annual Legends in Manufacturing Awards Dinner. Both events should be on your calendar. They will be held later this month, and I hope to see you there. Please go to www.iowaabi.org to find out more. In the meantime, and as always, thank you for your support. You're listening to the reading of the business record for Friday, September 10th, 2021 on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Continuing to read from the special ABI publication, Cultivating Iowa's Talent Continuum. Students in Iowa share their thoughts on Iowa business and industry. Summer is a time for Iowa students to get ahead with the ABI Foundation's programs Business Horizons, five days in July, and Leadership Iowa University, five days in August. Each experience is focused on providing students connections to opportunities in Iowa as they consider their aspirations. During each program, students speak with business leaders and tour businesses. It is these engaging and interactive activities that reframe and expand their perception of our state and possible careers the students hope to pursue. Many students comment their awe at the interest the professional volunteers and the greater business community have in their future plans. Additionally, students see the businesses that sponsor the program on signage and in their materials and come to understand the care these organizations take in making the program possible. Hear more from the students who participated in the summer of 2021 themselves. The ABI Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit empowering Iowans to be enthusiastic citizens, engaged workers, and inspired leaders. To learn more about how to get involved with these programs as a volunteer or sponsor, visit www.iowaabifoundation.org or email foundation at iowaabi.org. Quotes from students who participated in this summer's events. It means a lot that businesses in Iowa believe in our ability to succeed. Joseph Schammel, Austin High School in Milford. It means that companies want to give us a better future. Kaya Dietrich, Makokata High School from Preston. Companies notice the next generation and want to provide them with the best chance of success. Morgan Brower, Cascade Senior High School. Throughout the week, I learned firsthand that the businesses and the professionals here in Iowa are excited and more than willing to help me and my peers succeed. Jolie Moore, University of Iowa, Class of 2022. This program helped me to grow as a well-rounded professional and person. Leadership Iowa University taught me so much about the many opportunities the great state of Iowa has to offer. Ace Tipton, Drake University, Class of 2022. The next story, written by Gigi Wood. 
Iowa manufacturing leaders are optimistic about increasing sales and growth after a challenging 2020, but continue to grapple with workforce shortages that will likely continue for years to come. Manufacturing is the state's second largest sector with 3,500 manufacturers who add $33 billion to Iowa's GDP, according to Iowa Workforce Development. Experts say moving the industry beyond its current challenges will require leaders to take several steps, including training, collaboration, investment, and seeking out technological solutions. What statewide surveys say. The latest Iowa Association of Business and Industry, ABI, quarterly business survey showed that 79% of manufacturers expect to see sales expand in the third quarter of this year, while those same survey respondents said they expect their workforce to grow in the third quarter, they said employee shortages are a top issue for their businesses. The expected growth sheds light on an important priority for our members, said ABI President Mike Ralston. We are focused on increasing the manufacturing workforce. Iowa's manufacturers are experiencing the same trends manufacturers nationwide are seeing. There is an ongoing labor shortage, but we have a lot of Iowa manufacturers offering competitive salaries and benefits, as well as other initiatives to keep Iowans engaged. In addition to the labor shortage, manufacturers are also working hard to address ongoing concerns about supply chain issues and the increasing cost of raw materials, Ralston said. The Iowa State University Center for Industrial Research and Services Iowa Manufacturing Needs Assessment Report of 2019-2020 listed workforce shortages as the manufacturing sector's top concern due to retirements, job abandonment, and a lack of childcare availability. The report showed that manufacturers have been losing supervisors and skilled trades workers to retirements, and that employees new to the field are abandoning the industry at a high rate. The shortage is such an issue, workforce shortages are influencing decisions on whether to relocate to other states and regions. Many companies are changing their recruitment strategies as well, such as posting job vacancies on social media and at local venues like churches, the report found. Promoting Advanced Manufacturing Manufacturing Day, also known as MFG Day, is a day when manufacturers work to recruit and fill positions within their local communities, often by hosting local students or hosting events. This year's MFG Day lands on October 1st. Our plan is to share Manufacturing Day with our local middle school and high school students by providing them the opportunity to come to our facility for a learning tour said Nate Wheaton, president and CEO of Fairfield-based Wheaton Capital, a private holding company focused on providing succession opportunities to Iowa business owners. We feel that this has the biggest impact in promoting what advanced manufacturing really is, Wheaton said. Wheaton agrees that the workforce shortage is the top concern of manufacturers. There is no argument that workforce is the number one challenge in our industry and most others right now, he said. 
Beyond workforce, it's communication infrastructure, which impacts both business and education in our communities. To improve the situation, Wheaton said manufacturers need to invest in technology and people and collaborate with other business leaders. Manufacturers have done a good job of investing in technology during the pandemic. Wheaton said, Iowa manufacturers continue to invest in innovation even through the difficult times of the last few years. This focus, coupled with a state government that works hard to keep our state manufacturing sector competitive, has provided great opportunity for Iowa's manufacturers. Increased collaboration could also help business leaders, he said. Business leaders, no doubt, are including these critical issues in their strategic discussion with their teams, Wheaton said. It's time to take those discussions outside our organizations, share best practices, and work together to solve the problems. Wheaton Capital invests in competitive wages and training to tackle challenges within the sector. The investments in technology and skills enhancement not only make our business more productive, they facilitate innovative and customer-focused thinking across our organization, Wheaton said. This culture ultimately drives a safe, clean, and efficient work environment for everyone. Cirrus Outlook Ron Cox, director of the Center for Industrial Research and Service, Cirrus, at Iowa State University, said the manufacturing industry's dilemmas are daunting but not insurmountable. The struggles we all are seeing with COVID are extremely challenging, he said. It reminds me a bit of what we saw two plus decades ago when Iowa lost so many manufacturing jobs overseas. It seemed at the time like there just wasn't much we could do to stem the loss of jobs. But thousands of Iowa companies fought through those tough times and manufacturing in Iowa has rebounded so well, he said. Technology could provide many answers to those challenges, he said. I believe if we look at new ways to solve our workforce challenges and double down on productivity improvements and implementation of new technologies and automated systems, we can continue to grow manufacturing in Iowa, Cox said. Our economy is so dependent on manufacturing. To me, no other option but extreme success is acceptable. He predicts workforce shortages to be a long-term challenge for the state. Cirrus has taken statewide workforce data and broken employees into 27 workforce types. The center is now developing strategies to better target each type of worker, he said. I believe Iowa will continue to see labor shortages far longer than the rest of the country, he said. We have systemic low population growth and a high labor force participation rate. There just are not that many more people that we can pull into the labor force if we use the same approaches as in the past. We believe companies have to change their labor force strategies and later laser focus their workforce recruiting toward the types of individuals they want to hire. Then they need to address the root causes that are preventing those types of workers from entering the workforce, Cox said. While workforce challenges are likely to be ongoing, Cox said he hopes supply chain disruptions will dissipate throughout the coming year. I'm hopeful supply chain issues will be in the rearview mirror in 12 months, 
but I believe workforce issues will remain with us in Iowa for many years to come, he said. Supply chain issues are affecting companies across the country, so it is going to take some time to get back to pre-COVID conditions. The best advice I can think of is to over-communicate with customers and suppliers so expectations are understood and people can plan. Despite Iowa's manufacturing challenges, there is a lot going right in the sector, Cox said. The demand for goods and services is very high, in part due to the pent-up demand created by the COVID pandemic, he said. We also see companies working together more on really tough problems, like development of workforce solutions and exploring Industry 4.0 possibilities. The next story from the Power Breakfast series, The Future of Corporate Culture. Power Breakfast panelists weigh in on creating successful work environments. The needs for more talent and strategies to welcome, include, and retain a diverse workforce have been top concerns for business leaders in the past few years. Then, a global pandemic, remote working, and a national racial reckoning disrupted workplace culture even further. At our September 9th Power Breakfast, Panelists talked about the future of corporate culture as it relates to all these challenges and opportunities. Ahead of the event, we asked panelists to answer, what's one strategy business leaders should implement to ensure a bright future for their corporate cultures? Here's what they said. Sharon Gaddy Hanna, Human Resources Business Partner, Employee Relations Officer, Bankers Trust Company. One strategy that business leaders can incorporate is an equity lens to ensure that their corporate culture includes diversity, equity, and inclusion. Due to the ever-changing demographics of our world, state, and city, employers will have to be more intentional in their efforts to create and retain a culturally diverse workforce. Our corporate culture should demonstrate diversity in our workforce. Potential talent will be looking at those employers who have proven their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Companies can no longer just talk about their commitment or their passion. Demonstrated examples must be visible. It is critical that inclusive voices are represented at the decision-making table. It is equally important that equity exists to ensure that growth and development opportunities are made available to all. An equity lens will allow leaders to measure where they are, establish strategies to become more effective in this space, attract and retain diverse talent, increase their customer base, create new vendor relationships, and expand their footprint in the community. Those business leaders who have a vision, who have a passion, and are not afraid to be a trailblazer in this space will ensure a bright future for their corporate culture. From Claudia Schabel, President and CEO, Schabel Solutions. According to Peter Drucker, quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast, end quote. In other words, culture trumps strategy. When organizational culture is aligned with business strategy and leadership expectation, it is a differentiator in the marketplace. Good things happen. The opposite is also true. A misalignment of culture and strategy can lead to failure. 
Leaders often use the terms core values and organizational culture interchangeably. In reality, they mean two different things. Core values are the stated aspirations and ambitions of an organization in terms of behaviors and priorities. Culture is what results from what leaders and employees actually do in their daily interactions, decision-making, and behaviors. Culture reflects an organization's priorities. Often there is unintentional misalignment between what is said and what is done. When an organization is in doubt about the alignment of its culture with its strategy, an assessment is necessary. First, leaders must understand their organization's culture and assess its intended and unintended impact on business outcomes. Second, leaders need to determine how those outcomes are aligned with their organizational core values, guiding principles, leadership expectations, and marketplace conditions. Is there a disconnect? Third, leaders need to close any identified gaps by committing to culture change and selecting and developing leaders who can make that happen. Research has shown that inclusive, collaborative, and innovative organizational cultures help ensure that strategies are executed most effectively and successfully. Culture is critical to organizational success. From Katie Graham, attorney and shareholder, Nymaster Good. Focus on talent, not location. As more and more employers see proven results with a remote workforce, they are becoming increasingly willing to open their job searches to a national and even global market. Des Moines employers who don't follow suit will be left looking at a local talent pool picked over by employers in larger markets. The pandemic has forced us to become more flexible and nimble. Organizations should be looking at ways to continue this flexibility, considering alternative work arrangements in order to ensure retention, and hiring of the highest caliber because the truth is, employees will now and forever have more options. In order to do this, there are considerations that organizations should be looking at now so that all the pieces are in place when it's time to act. Make sure your organization has a plan for complying with another state's employment, tax, and leave laws in the event you need to retain or hire an employee in that state. Continue to search for ways to bring people together even when they are separated by distance. There will always be people who thrive best in a workplace where they get to collaborate. There's a place for that. It's just going to be important to stay flexible rather than going back to making arbitrary and one-size-fits-all decisions. Gilmara Villanova-Mitchell, Director of DEI at IMT Insurance, Leadership Consultant, Sarah Noel Wilson, Incorporated. The pandemic led many organizations to abruptly become fully remote. Although most companies adapted quickly to the massive remote work experiment, organizational culture has become more complex than ever. Leaders have been tasked to start imagining the future of their organization in a world where such office rituals aren't present and team members have limited in-person interactions. Organizational cultural norms continue being created but are now guided by different routines. 
Here are some strategies leaders can use to keep their organizational cultures healthy during this challenging time. Acknowledge that culture can no longer be thought of and shaped the same way. The way we work will never be the same, and as a result, we need to think about developing culture differently. Become crystal clear in communicating and modeling your organizational values and the type of culture you strive to encourage. Elevate stakeholder voices during this transition to fully understand the best ways to respond. Increasing touch points with those you serve and listening intentionally to identify how to provide the support needed are more important than ever. Remain flexible adjusting to team members' needs as individuals that have been affected uniquely by the pandemic. People's needs are dynamic, not static, and your organization needs to be able to adapt to those shifts to meet their needs. Increase opportunities to celebrate and recognize team members' contributions. Not all organizations will come out stronger from the current pandemic and its devastating impact, but leaders can help their teams navigate the current context in a way that is authentic to the organization and yet responsive to our reality. And from Troy Vincent, founder and CEO of Navigate Wellbeing Solutions, connect your employee benefits to your values and your purpose. Here's how you do it. At Navigate, we have a shared foundation of meaning and clarity on why we exist as a company, our purpose, what we do for others, our value agenda, and how we go about doing it. Our culture, propels our why, what, and how. In our experience, when translating this vision into tangible action and results, I would recommend dividing the journey into manageable stages to improve the likelihood of success. Step one, aspire. Set your compelling long-term vision. Use a data-driven approach to analyze strengths and gaps. Step two, Listen, and then listen again. It should be a collaborative effort to define the needs and evaluate the data. Step three, architect a culture of care. Behavior is hardwired in the organization by activating aspiration. Leaders should be engaged and be role models, fostering understanding and conviction by delivering a compelling change story. They should put the plan in place reinforcing tools, resources, well-being programs, and moments that matter, matter. For example, onboarding, referral programs, and check-ins. Step four, personalize. Manage the journey by promoting behavior and mindset shifts at the individual level. Personalize the experience. Use technology to gather info and understand individual employees' attributes and preferences. Personalize content and coaching and track progress. And step five, empower. Embed continuous improvement with an agile, data-driven approach. Leading organizations use data to pinpoint high-impact opportunities to rapidly iterate and institutionalize improvement. Employees are no longer face-to-face -face every day, but the truth is that a performance culture can be built anywhere and these actions can apply in any type of working environment.
connect benefits to your values and your purpose. Folks are deflated. Fresh air proves that. The great resignation. Your company benefits show your employees you value the same things they do. Now turning to Dave Elbert's column, The Albert Files. Mary Lincoln's USDA. Quote, an American marriage, end quote. Michael Burlingame's book about the tumultuous marriage of Abraham and Mary Lincoln contains interesting insights into how Mary Lincoln profited from the creation of the U.S. Department of Agriculture in 1862. Before we get to those shenanigans, it is worth noting that five of the nation's 32 secretaries of agriculture were Iowans and that three others had ties to the state. Former Iowa Governor Tom Vilsack, the current head of the USDA, is the second longest serving Secretary of Agriculture, with eight years under President Barack Obama and six months and counting under Joe Biden. Those extra months push Vilsack ahead of two other Ag Secretaries who also served eight years, Minnesotan Orville Freeman, 61 to 69, and Idaho's Ezra Taft Benson, 53 to 61. Benson was one of three other USDA chiefs with Iowa ties, having obtained a Master of Science degree in Agricultural Economics from Iowa State College in Ames in 1927. The others were Nebraskans Mike Johans, 2005-2008, who was born in Osage, Iowa, and grew up on a nearby dairy farm, and Missouri's Arthur Mastic Hyde, who served from 1929-33, who received a law degree from the University of Iowa in 1900. The only USDA chief with more longevity than Vilsack was Iowa's James Tama Jim Wilson, who served 16 consecutive years from 1897 to 1913 under three Republican presidents, William McKinley, Theodore Roosevelt, and William Howard Taft. Although the USDA DA is today an agency with broad powers. Its creation in 1862 as a division of the Department of the Interior went largely unnoticed at the time. The lack of attention made it easy pickings for the free-spending Mary Lincoln and her patronage-seeking friends, according to author and Lincoln scholar Burlingame. Mary Lincoln was famous for overspending on White House improvements and personal items, and she attempted to cover her expenses, according to Burlingame, by, quote, padding payrolls and expense accounts, as well as accepting bribes and kickbacks and selling pardons and trading permits, end quote. Burlingame wrote, quote, Crafty men put their heads together and decided to call into being a Bureau of Agriculture, whose different departments were to be run, each by its particular head, independent of the others, constituting a cluster of little kingdoms with a nominal head that should be empty of ideas, possessing only one requisite, that of managing Mrs. Lincoln and the appropriation of the public funds." End quote. And that does it for today's reading of the business record for Friday, September 10th, 2021. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime.